thank you, worship team, for leading us in that powerful time as we sang and worshiped. I want to ask you if you would to take your Bible and open to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 30 through 40 is our text for today. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 30 through 40. As you're turning there, let me say a couple of things before we pray. One, I want to emphasize once again what Dustin said on the video, what Brother Bobby said, and our welcome time and prayer time, and that is uh, this week, uh, actually beginning today, now we are having our folks gather for prayer tonight at 6, but any who are not going to be in prayer time tonight, please go to the revival meeting at 6 tonight. <clears throat> but I want to just stress the importance of making time this week to attend those meetings as we ask God to work in us, 6 o'clock every night. Uh, at Shiloh. So please pray for God to revive us and renew us. There's a desperate need for the people of God to experience revival. I constantly see that as I just sort of examine the Church of America. Now there are certainly uh, pockets, remnants of strong works of God. God is working in our church family. But I will tell you, uh, there is so much more God desires to do through us and in us. And so this will be a good time for us to set that Aside those evenings, ask God to speak to us and then respond to God as He speaks into our lives. So please pray for that this week. Also, as has been mentioned, Fall Festival, next Sunday night, Sunday afternoon. Uh, this is a tremendous uh, event for us to be used to evangelize people. And this year, we have really focused in on some ways in which we can get the gospel to people more effectively. And so uh, I want to ask you to do three things. Number one, volunteer. If you're, uh, if you're not already signed up to volunteer and you would like to do that, we would love for you to do so. You can see Miss Ann. Miss Ann, would you wave your hand? And you just go to Miss Ann right after service, and she can find a place for you to plug in and volunteer uh, next week. Secondly, invite. Invite as many people as you possibly can to be here. You know families uh, with children. Encourage them to come. Uh, go with them if need be, but invite as many people. Spread the word about this. And a third thing, pray. Let's pray for God to use that time in a great way for us to connect with people, for us to be able to get people to come to church with us and connect them with the gospel. If they are saved, maybe they just need to grow in their faith and we could be used to do that. Uh, and so just pray for uh, us to get the gospel to them that night. And so please pray for God to use that event in a great way. Well, let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, I have felt all morning the deepness of my need for you. I know, Lord, I can't get out of bed in the mornings without you. I can't function in this life without you. You're the one who gives life and breath to all things. My life is in your hand. I need you in the simplest task, Lord, I recognize that the longer I walk with you the more I know and realize how much I need you I thank you that you do not leave us nor forsake us you're constantly with us I thank you father for taking care of your kids and Lord I pray today father for you to clothe me with Holy Spirit ability and power to be able to preach this message to do and say what you want done and said here today I ask you to open our hearts and minds that we might receive a word from you. I pray you'll take away distractions. And I pray, Lord, that you will remove deceptions of the enemy 
tactics and strategies of the enemy to keep people from hearing. And I pray, Lord God, we will all hear what you want to say to us today. I pray for your strength, both physically and spiritually and mentally. Lord, I pray, Father, for you to do great things here today. Lord, I trust you. Speak through me. Speak to us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews 11, verses 30 through 40. I'm speaking this morning on this subject, the power of faith. We are all saved by faith. That is, all of God's people are saved by faith. That was the truth in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Old Testament saints were saved by faith in the Lord God. And their salvation would be completed by the coming sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those of us today are saved by faith when we call on Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior. So the people of God have always been saved by faith. We're also, the people of God have always been called to live by faith. Now to live by faith doesn't necessarily mean exclusively that we just trust God to take care of our needs and we trust God to do this or that and, and we depend on Him for certain things in life, including our redemption. But this living by faith means that we live in obedience to God. It means that we take His Word and we live out life according to what His Word says, not according to what we desire, not according to what the world says, not according to what our peers uh, communicate to us. We live by the Word of God. That's how a person lives by faith. It's when we serve Him. It's when we witness for Him. It's when we do work for Him. But it's when we just walk daily in obedience to God. That is living life by faith. And the world system around us will oppose that. The world system will oppose that kind of life because Satan is at the helm of that world system. And he's influencing people and he's influencing the culture. And so when he does that... A life of faith lived out to obey God is in contradiction to that system of belief and practice in life. And that's why the people of God are said that if they desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, they will suffer persecution. It will be opposition that comes from the world system. The writer of Hebrews is writing to such a group of Christians in the first century, and they're experiencing opposition. They're experiencing pressures from the world system. And they're thinking that they could just simply go back into their life of Judaism since they were all ethnic Jews that received the Lord Jesus, they'd been saved. But at least their ethnic group would come around them and coalesce around them and they would be comfortable because of that. That was the temptation. And the writer of Hebrews is saying to them, do not do that. And he writes and lays out an incredible case for the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is superior to Judaism but not only to Judaism, he is superior and greater than anything or anyone in the universe. So follow him. Stay faithful to him. Endure. So not only are people, the people of God called to live by faith, that is live in obedience to God's word, but there are times that it's going to take a great deal of faith or a great deal of trust in the Lord to do those things and to obey the work that God desires us to do because we will think sometimes it just cannot be done. We will think sometimes it, it doesn't make sense to me. It, it, it just seems impossible. 
But when the people of God trust God, the impossible becomes possible. The possible becomes, the impossible becomes reality, actually. Now, God has sovereignly chosen to make the response of His people in faith the means by which they will often experience His power. With faith, there's great power available to the people of God who live for Him, and He will accomplish His will through them. One of my most intriguing passages on this is Mark chapter 6. I was thinking about this this past week as I prepared this message that Mark chapter 6 was a, a text that I preached, and I saw Larry in here a moment ago, Larry Henson, but he was on the pastor search team. There's Larry. Uh, when they called me and, and they went, we, I, I preached at a church in, in Panama City to kind of get away from the church I was pastoring so it would not be so obvious that the, this group of people were coming. And, uh, and, and I preached a message on Mark chapter 6 that day. Uh, and so it just came to my mind as I was studying this week. It has nothing to do with this message, but I'm just chasing a rabbit there for a moment. But here's the thing about Mark chapter 6. The Lord Jesus is in his hometown. He's ministering there, but yet so many of them did not believe in him yet. And because of their unbelief, he could do no mighty work there. Mark chapter 6, verse 5 and 6 says, Now, he could, do no, he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And then he went about the village in a circuit teaching. He marveled at their unbelief. I could not help but think, what does God propose to do right here in this church family that's being hindered right now by our unbelief. As incredible of things as he is doing, what does he desire to do here but it's being hindered because the people of God just have unbelief. We will not live a life of faith. We will not trust him and follow his ways and do his work. And so because of it, we're not seeing the move of God, the power of God that he desires to do in us and in this church family. Another example of this is found in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. The Word of God there says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. In verse 12, the working out of your own salvation does not mean that you work to earn your salvation does not mean that you work to keep your salvation. Salvation is by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. What it means to work out your salvation is once you are saved, you go to work. You go to work in obedience to the Lord. You follow His Word. You get involved in the work of God. You are doing those things. You work out your salvation. That takes faith. That's walking and living by faith. And so when you live by faith, notice what verse 13 teaches. That when we are... Walking by faith, then the power of God works in us both to will and to do for His good pleasure. You know what that means? That means that by His power, He begins to create in us the right desires. He works and empowers the actions of our lives to accomplish His will. That's what it means to do His good pleasure. So God uses faith of His people, unleashes and releases His power so that he accomplishes his agenda. And that's what we're talking about today from this text. We see the power of God through 
the faith of these examples and the works of faith that were accomplished by these individuals who just surrendered themselves to the Lord and obeyed, and God worked through them to accomplish these things. Now, look with me in your Bible. Let's read these verses. Verses 30 through 40 of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Now, the main idea of this message this morning is that faith releases the power for accomplishing God's will for deliverance and endurance as we obey and serve the Lord. This great chapter comes to a close. As Al Mohler said and wrote, as we come to the chapter's end, it is as if we have experienced a great symphony. There has been expansive movement across many portions of the Old Testament. And now the list of characters culminates in a crescendo of final examples. And that is what happens here. And in the examples of faith that we find here, we find that there is great power that God gives to the people of faith for His work to be accomplished and deliverance to be experienced. He also gives great power to endure suffering for the things of God, to endure suffering for the reproach of Christ. He gives power for us to be able to endure that so that God is glorified and exalted and, and, and people are influenced by that example of endurance. So two things I want us to understand about faith here. The first thing is this. Faith releases power for accomplishing God's will and deliverance. Now what I want us to see here is that all these acts of faith that are given to us here were acts of obedience to the will of God not the whims of humanity. The prosperity gospel in America has taught and trained many Christians in America to believe that God exists for us. And that when you have a relationship with Him, it means that His goal for you is to go out and try to be as happy as you possibly can. And God's job is to help you have all the things you believe is gonna make you happy. And he's going to defeat everybody who stands in the way of you accomplishing your dreams. 
That's the prosperity gospel of America. And that's an absolutely wrong view of what Christianity is all about. What you'll notice here is these great acts of God's power were all done to accomplish the agenda of God through His people who obeyed Him. And they lived for Him, and they obeyed Him, and God gave great victory and great deliverance, and He overcame great obstacles that His will would be accomplished. The first example that's given is in verse 30. It talks about how the people of Israel went into the uh, land of Canaan, the promised land, the land that was promised to Abraham hundreds of years earlier. It would be a place where they would be established as a nation. They would be a light to the world from this land. And so they were to enter that land, and they were to fight with those who occupied the land to, uh, to destroy them. And let me remind you, the people of Canaan were very wicked people. They were very evil. And for centuries, they had denied and resisted the common grace of God, and they had rejected God in such a way that God would now pour His judgment out on them using His own people as they came in and cleansed them of that land and took over the land themselves. For that to happen, they had to first cross the Jordan. That took a miraculous act of God in itself. Joshua chapter 3 tells us that the Jordan was flooded over its banks they had to cross to go into the land of Canaan. And so what they did is they uh, obeyed the instruction of God, and they were to have the priest take up the ark of God. They were to walk to the edge of the Jordan, put their feet down, and when the feet of the priest hit the water, the water would pile back up, and they would cross over on dry land as they did the Red Sea. God miraculously provided a means by which the people of Israel could cross over into the land. And so that happened in Joshua 3. And now it's time for military conquest. And Joshua, who's now the leader of the people of Israel after Moses' death, is seeking God about the instruction of how he's going to go about doing this. He'd sent out some spies in chapter 2 to do some reconnaissance over there and around Jericho. So Joshua's walking around, and suddenly he, he is confronted by what many believe is a manifestation of the incarnate Christ, the angel of the Lord. He identifies himself as the captain of the Lord's armies, and he's called Lord in one instance. Is why that many believe this is a Christophany, this pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ. He's got a sword in hand, and he's letting them know that the battle is going to belong to the Lord. That's a deep comfort to Joshua. Then uh, Joshua is given specific instructions. And those instructions make no sense whatsoever to a, a military strategic mind because what they were to do is they were to go to this fortified city and they were to have the army, they were to have seven priests with seven trumpets and some more priests carrying the ark and then a rear guard. And they were to go around the city. And they were to go around the city one time for six days. So they come out and they take a lap around the city and they go back to the house. On the seventh day, they're to go around the city seven times. And on that seventh lap, the, pri the priests are to blow the trumpet, the people are to shout. Now, what kind of strategy is that? <laughs> uh, you know, the, the people might have thought, this makes no sense. But we're going to do it because God said do it. Maybe the people of Jericho, whom we know from chapter 2, were pretty terrified of the Israelites. Maybe they were thinking, well, if this is the best they got, maybe we've got it. <laughs> And they're just going to take laps around the city each day. And then the people did exactly what God said. 
On that seventh day when the trumpets blew, the people shouted. Miraculously, the walls of that fortified city fell down, and immediately they went into the city and destroyed the people of that city, except for one family, the family of Rahab. Now, it took faith to do that. And they followed in faith and trusted God, and He gave them great victory. Rahab, verse 31, is connected with this because Rahab was a woman who's described in Scripture as a harlot. She received the two spies that came to her house, and she hid them there from those who were looking for those spies. If they'd have found those spies, they would have put them to death. But she hid them and told them that they had left and here's the way you ought to go and, and so she spared them that way and when they talked to her Rahab let them know that the whole city was terrified their hearts had melted because they had heard of what God had done when he brought them out of Egypt and how he had used them to destroy an army that came against them and, and they were terrified because of, uh, of what God had done for these people and she said this, she had come to believe that God is the one true God. So she was willing to risk her life to protect those men and risk her own life by an act of faith because she had become convinced that God's the one true God. And he was going to deliver this city into their hands. And so she said, how about remembering me and my family that we might be spared? And so that's exactly what took place. So she is taking her life in her own hands to do this. Because she would have been considered a traitor and she would have been put to death by those of her city. But she was willing to walk away from everything that she knew because she understood by faith that God is the true God. I was watching what all was going on in Israel this past week and I saw an interview with a man who's part of an organization, an all-volunteer organization there in, in Israel. I probably won't pronounce this right, but Hatzalah, something like that. And they're, they're a group of volunteer medics. And they're going about their everyday life, doing whatever they're doing. But if something happens in an area, just like volunteer fire people here get a pager call, they get a call, probably on their phones, and they get a location of where it is it, it, so that they see where the event is. And the, those that are near that event converge on that event to help take care of people that are traumatized or in, in medical need. This group is made up there in Israel of all types of people, Jews, Christians, Muslims, all are part of that. Well, this one guy was talking about how that one of their uh, volunteers, who was a Muslim, um, responded to the calls when Hamas was attacking and, and, uh, and people were being killed, and he began to help, and he began to take care of those that were wounded. And when Hamas found him, they found out you know, who he was. He was Arab, and so what they did is they maliciously tortured him for hours and put him to death because he was a traitor. And it made me think about Rahab. You know, she could have suffered the same type of fate, but yet by faith she trusted in the one true God <laughs> and, and, and was delivered because of it. In verses 32 through 35a, the writer knows that he could talk all day long on multiple examples of faith. He said, what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell. Then he begins to name out a group of people that span the time of judges, the judges. 
the time of the early monarchy on into the monarchy all the way through to the prophets even into the intertestamental period are probably wrapped up in this, this summary of things that are given here. He first mentions Gideon. Gideon is going to um, fight against the Midianites. And so he has a little bit of struggle with faith. You know, he's saying, okay, Lord, if you're going to, if I'm to do this and you're going to give me victory, then uh, <clears throat> I'm going to put this fleece out. And if it's wet and all the ground around is dry, then, you know, I'll know that you're going to give me victory. So God does that. Then he goes, all right, Lord, don't be mad at me. Now let the fleece be dry and all the ground be wet. <clears throat> I just need to make sure. But he has a struggle there. But finally, he gets clarity and, and then he gathers an army of 32,000 Soldiers, And God says to him, there's too many because you're going to take credit for it with this many. And so they, they say, all right, those of you who are scared, go to the house. Well, 22,000 were scared. <laughs> they went to the house, left them 10,000. And God says, it's still too many. So then he came up with this plan and ended up being 300 men that were going to be used in that battle. 300 against the Midianites and Malachites who had joined to help them. And the way they would do it was kind of strange also. But Gideon followed exactly what God said by faith, and God gave great victory over the Midianites. Then you have Barak. And he was a military commander who was instructed by the judge Deborah to go against uh, Sisera, the Canaanite military commander. And he did so and gained great victory. The book of Judges records this. And you've got Samson. Samson was chosen to fight against God's enemies, the Philistines. And single-handedly, he defeated great numbers of Philistines. And you have a man by the name of Jephthah, who was the son of a prostitute. And his half-siblings ran him off from his house until they needed him. He was a fighter. And so when the family began to be attacked... They reached out to Jephthah to come back and be their leader. And then he uh, was able by the power of God through faith to defeat the enemies of the people of God. Then David is mentioned, the great king who faithfully um, trusted God and saw things take place in his life like when he was even taking care of his father's sheep. And a lamb would be taken by a lamb or a bear. And he would run that bear that line down and grab hold of it and strike it dead by the power of God. He recognized God was enabling him to do that. He stood before Goliath in the name of the Lord God of Israel, and God gave him strength to slay Goliath. He was empowered to lead the armies of God and the nation of Israel by faith. And then Samuel's mentioned in the prophets who were men of God who faithfully preached to God even when nobody wanted to hear what they said. Even when false prophets mocked them and the people listened to the false prophets, they stayed faithful. Even if they were threatened with imprisonment and other things, they still stayed faithful by faith because they believed in the one true God and they believed in His Word. In verses 34 through 35, he lists out some works of faith. Kingdoms were subdued by faith. Well, David did some of that and Joshua and Asa and Jehoshaphat and Hezekiah and Josiah, they worked righteousness. Elijah did that and Elisha did that. They obtained promises. They didn't see them fulfilled, but by faith they knew that they would be. 
It says here that the mouths of lions were stopped, and we think immediately of Daniel. Daniel chapter 6, where Daniel's just faithfully living for the Lord in an incredibly secular culture. He had enemies. People didn't like him. They were jealous of Daniel, and they wanted to attack him, and they, they knew they couldn't find anything wrong in his life, so they knew they'd have to do some kind of concoct, some type of plan that had to do with his worship of the one true God if they were going to do away with Daniel. So they encouraged the king to make a law that if anyone uh, petitioned anyone but the king for a certain amount of time, those persons would be thrown to the lines. They'd be killed. Well, Daniel knew exactly that law, and it didn't stop him one bit. He did not compromise his devotion to the one true God. He did not stop his spiritual disciplines. Some of us just purposefully ignore ours. Daniel would not do so in the face of death. And he went and prayed like he prayed every day at least three times. And his enemies told the king about it. And the king tried to back out because he loved Daniel. He didn't want to put Daniel to death. But they kept pressuring him. So they took Daniel and threw him in the den of lions. And God shut the mouths of those lions so they would not touch Daniel. He was miraculously delivered. And then the Bible talks about how that they were that they were delivered from fire. And that immediately brings our minds to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3 when they were told with everyone else to bow down to this image made by the king. And they didn't do it, and the king was infuriated by it, and he said, I'm going to give you one more shot. You bow down to this. And he said, no, we're not going to do it. God's able to deliver us, and even if he doesn't, I'm still not, we're still not going to bow down worship this idol. Reminds me of how many confessing Christians today are bowing down to all the cultural idols around us, worshiping the things of the world more than worshiping the one true God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego by faith would not do that even if it meant they would die. The king was infuriated by this, had them stoke up the fires in the furnace to as hot as they could possibly be. And the guards took hold of these three men and the guards that threw them into that furnace were overtaken by that fire and, put, and they were killed. But in that fire, there were three men walking around. Hold on, there was four men walking around in that fire. Probably the incarnate Christ walking around in there with them to protect those men. And they were brought back out of that fire without their clothes even being singed or smelling like smoke. Back in the day, some of you who are old enough to remember this, you used to walk into a Jiffy store. You couldn't walk into to the Tom Thumb without coming out smelling like cigarettes. But listen, they, they, were in a, they were in a fire and came out not even smelling like smoke. God sustained them and delivered them because of their faith. They trusted. They stood for Him. God stood with them and gave them the victory. There were those who escaped the edge of the sword. David did. Elijah did. Out of weakness, there were people made strong as they trusted God. You know how strong you can be? Uh, uh, this is how strong you can be when you recognize how weak you are. You recognize your own weakness and you trust in the one true God. Then you're strong. And there were folks that were strengthened by the power of God through faith. They were valiant in battle. They turned armies to flight. Women received their dead. Reminds me of the widow of Seraphath and the Shunammite woman. All of these acts 
were accomplished by God through the faith of his people who would not compromise, who would not back down, who, who would not step back, but obeyed him. And God gave great victory to them. And I want to tell you something, my brothers and sisters, the same God who did that is the same God we serve today. He still works mightily among his people. The reason that many don't know it is because of our lack of faith. We don't want with God. Let me tell you some things about these people. We talk about these people sometimes, and we think, well, these were superheroes. These were super-duper, duper people. They were people saved by faith as we are. They were people who were facing dangerous circumstances and situations that could even result in death, as Christians do all over the world today. They were regular people with flaws. Rahab was saved out of prostitution. Samson, where do we even start with Samson? He was a mess. <laughs> he was a hedonistic mess. Immoral, focused on himself. Jephthah was an impulsive maniac. God, he, he said to God, Look, Lord, if you'll give me victory, then I will sacrifice to you whatever comes out of my house when I get back home. God gave him victory. You know, you know, what came out of his house? His only child, his only daughter. And he stubbornly carried out his vow. It was stupid. God didn't want that, didn't require that. And by the way, that's what happens when you get outside of the influence of the Word of God. You become impulsive in your vows and even in your Christian life sometimes if it's not guided carefully by the Word of God. David was a man of God, a man after God's own heart. But he messed up. He sinned against God. He was adulterous. He uh, even concocted a scheme for murder. He did not parent the way that he should. He, just, he didn't call his sons out on things like he should have. And despite their flaws, they were forgiven, repentant, and God used them. And they're in chapter 11, not highlighting their flaws, but highlighting their faith. And what we ought to do is say to God, be the glory for that. Because I'm going to tell you, no matter how self-righteous some of us think we are, we're deeply flawed. And without the grace of God, we are not worthy of any of the mercy God has shown to us. We need Him every moment of every day. Despite their flaws, they were used by God. And if we'll humble ourselves and obey God, we'll see Him do some things. We'll see Him work in ways where He tear down the, the resistance of the enemy and opens up opportunities for His people and brings deliverance and strength right when it's needed. And, and he, will, he will unleash His power when His people by faith trust Him. But not only that... Let me show you a second thing quickly. The second thing about faith is that faith releases power to accomplish God's will and endurance. Verse 35b through verse 40. Let me tell you what I mean by this. 
We all want to be a part of the great deliverance victories, don't we? We all want to be a part of that. But don't you know that sometimes what God does is He wants us to endure suffering for His name's sake. And He gives the power to endure the suffering. And it glorifies Him. It is used by Him many times in ways greater than we can imagine. There's a guy by the name of Saul who was an obstinate Jewish Pharisee. And he was so angry at the people of God that he was wanting to drag them off to prison. And if one of them was being uh, put to death, he would vote to put them to death. And he watched a man by the name of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, be pelted with stones to the life went out of his body and heard that man say, Lord, forgive them. Forgive them. He learned that from his Savior. And that man, Saul, as you know, became who we know as Paul. I believe the power of God made an impression on him deep down, even though he didn't act on it for a while. There was an impression made on him in that event. Verse 35b, the Word of God talks about how they were tortured because of their faith. That word means uh, great brutality. They didn't accept deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection, the Word of God said. They were willing to die because they knew God was going to raise them one day. Daniel talked about that in Daniel 12. They suffered mockings and scourgings and chains and imprisonments, and they were stoned like Zechariah, They were sawn in two. Tradition says Isaiah the prophet was sawn in two. Can you imagine that? Some were tempted maybe to reject God. Many went around in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, in the desert places, in, in caves. And verse 38 says the world was not worthy of them. They were treated terrible by society. Society did not deserve them. They were just pilgrims. They didn't belong here. I think of those people because those people who persecuted those early people of God and all people of God and see the people of God by supernatural grace endure that suffering even to the point of death, if they continue to reject God, one day when they stand before the one true God, those events will be brought to mind because they have seen some of the most pure and powerful displays of gospel change and the work of God as anybody has ever seen to see a suffering saint stay faithful. Because they rejected that, there's a higher level of punishment they're going to receive because of what they witnessed to and still rejected. Justin Martyr early Christians seeing the place where he and some of his people would be martyred said this to encourage his brothers and sisters. He said, remember brothers and sisters, they can kill us, but they can't hurt us. Some of these who are talked about here in this text would include some of those in the intertestamental period. People these Jewish Christians would have known about and heard about being raised up in Jewish circles. In the book of 2 Maccabees, which was a 
record some of the events of the intertestamental period. <clears throat> There's this one record of a woman who had seven sons. And when that evil man, Antiochus IV, or Antiochus Epiphanes, <clears throat> when he sacked Jerusalem, he was persecuting and brutally murdering the Jewish people, and he would try to force them to recant the, the one true God and eat pig, eat swine. That would be no problem for us, but it would be for a Jew. Well, renouncing God's a problem. Let me get that straight. And so what he would do is he would say, you know, you, you renounced God. They, they didn't do it. Six of her sons were put to death. One of them's described as having his tongue cut out, his feet and hands cut off. His mother watched these things happen as each of her sons were brutally tortured and murdered in that way, down to the very last one. And Antiochus said to them, why don't you um, recant and I'll give you your son back. And here's what she said. She said, I beg you, my child. This is what she told her son. I beg you, my child, to look to heaven. Do not fear this butcher, but prove worthy of your brothers. Accept death, so that in God's mercy, I may get you back again along with your brothers. And he boldly and defiantly uh, resisted the king and was even more torturously treated and finally put to death as was the mother they would not recant this entire generation of people who did not see as verse 39 says the fulfillment of the promises of God yet by faith experienced the power of God but those of us who now have seen the fruition of the Lord Jesus Christ come to make redemption for all if those early people of God stood firm in the faith without yet understanding the fulfillment of the promise of God, how much more should we who understand the redemptive work of God, who have been saved by the glorious Savior, Jesus Christ, how much more should we stand firm in the faith? How much more should we refuse to compromise? How much more should we be willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for His honor and glory? Instead of compromising as we do so often, we should be committed. We should be surrendered. But we should sell out to Him. And by His power, we will remain faithful. And we'll glorify Him. The problem with many Christians today is we need the fires of faith rekindled in our hearts. And it starts with simple obedience to the one true God. You know what we should do in response to what I'm talking about today? We should live out our hope and we should give hope to others. We should live out our hope and the gospel of Christ by drawing near to God and we're all flawed in our ways. Thank God for his forgiveness and maybe you failed even here recently. Well, confess it before God and turn to him and start walking with him. And don't let your flaws define you, but let your faith define you. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 says, we're to pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We don't need to bow down to the idols of our culture. 
We need to be absolutely focused on our Lord and obedience to Him. And the power of the living God will be unleashed on the people of God. We're to collectively come together and be one mind and one heart to strive together for the gospel's sake. We're to go and give hope to the people of this community and around the world. We're called not simply to come to church one time a week or two times a week. We're called to serve. We're called to witness. We're called to give our entire lives to serve the Lord. And we're to do that. There are people all around us who are in desperate need of the hope of the gospel. And if we start living out ours, they'll start listening to us. And if we'll start sharing the gospel intentionally, people will get saved. And they'll receive the great hope of the gospel and be changed forever. God is expecting His people to do this. That's the... As Joshua's instructions was, go circle the city seven times. Ours is go and make disciples of all the nations. Starting right here. It is to glorify God and live for Him each day. That's the instruction that we're given. And we must by faith do it. For some... You need to receive the gospel today because you have never truly received Christ. You might be a church member, and yet you're, you're lost. You need Jesus. Your, your life shows that you're lost. What you need to do is repent today and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, but He will save you and change you. will become a different person. He will change you, and you will have the hope of glory. We're going to stand to sing in a moment. I'll ask you to come to me and say, I need Jesus today. The altar's open. Why don't we come and bow today and say, Lord God, I desire to live out my hope by faith. I desire to give the hope of the gospel to others. I desire to see the power of God released in my life to glorify you as I obey you each day. Why don't we do that? And may the fires of faith be rekindled in the people of God. May we have a clearer understanding of how we're to be living life right now as the people of God. Heavenly Father, I am thankful for this word. I am thankful, Lord God, for the work you're doing in me. And I pray, Lord God, you're working in others. And I pray, Lord God, we will not resist now, but surrender now. I pray for you to work in a powerful way, Lord God, in this time of response to your word, where people, Lord, uh, confess things, and Lord, we just return to following you in the way we should and live by faith and see your power re released in our lives to accomplish your work and your will. For others, they need to be saved today. They've got to call on you to be their Lord and Savior, and I pray today they'll do that. Lord, maybe some need to join this church. May they want to be a part of what you're doing here and will do in the future. So, Lord, have your way now. May we have a time of prayer, too, today in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please.